Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. The 22nd Prime Minister, Charles Grey, Earl Grey. Much more than a cup of tea. He was Prime Minister from the 22nd of November 1830 to the 9th of July 1834. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. And this week we're looking at one of the Prime Ministers whose name is most famous but whose achievements in the office of Prime Minister are perhaps not so well known. We've got quite a few of these episodes of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week available now, from famous names such as Neville Chamberlain to more obscure Prime Ministers such as William Wyndham Grenville. So if you'd like to hear more, I'm sure these episodes are available on your podcast provider, but we also have all the episodes released so far on our website, longhistory.net, that's longhistory, all one word, And as well as these episodes about Prime Ministers, we've got more than 250 episodes now about the Age of Exploration. So before we get started, just a reminder, please subscribe if you can. We've got lots more Prime Ministers to go through. But with all the preamble out of the way, let's get started with this week's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, where we look at a man who was named after a cup of tea, or was it the other way round? Here we go with the 22nd Prime Minister, Charles Grey, Earl Grey, who was much more than a cup of tea. He was Prime Minister between the 22nd of November 1830 and the 9th of July 1834. Charles Grey, Earl Grey, was a man of the establishment who challenged the establishment from the inside, and as such he was a hugely consequential figure in British politics. Of course he had that blend of tea named after him, but he was much more than a tea blend, rating highly when rankings are made of the best Prime Ministers ever. He was an aristocratic figure, but he laid the foundations that not only fundamentally changed Britain at the time, but also, perhaps unwittingly, set the template for the changes that eventually led to everyone, subject to certain qualifiers, eventually being able to vote. So we ask a series of questions about these Prime Ministers here on Long History, and the first question we start with is what was he like? And when you look at the reforms that he made, he could be assumed to be a rebellious firebrand. In many senses, however, it was actually because he was not like this that he managed to push through his reforms. Apparently, he had an aristocratic demeanour, a certain aloofness, an old-fashioned assumption of superiority. And along with that, he had a tenacity and a sense of purpose that enabled him to make fundamental changes to Britain. He opened the doors for the democracy that we have today. He was married to Mary Ponsonby in 1794 and was the most, is the word, prodigious Prime Minister ever. He had 16 children with her. This wasn't a man averse to scandal, however, because he had a child before he was married in a scandalous affair with Georgina Cavendish, the Duchess of Devonshire. So in short, when asking what was he like, we have a man who is very aristocratic. I think it's quite easy to imagine that man with a certain aloof sense of superiority but he also had that sense of purpose and wanted to make change. So in the next question, we step back a bit and ask, what was the UK like at the time when Charles Grey was Prime Minister? And Charles Grey was Prime Minister at an interesting moment in time, actually. Although people often think of the 19th century as the Victorian era, Charles Grey was the only Prime Minister, actually, whose whole tenure in office was during the brief reign of William IV. William IV reigned for only seven years between all the Georges of the Georgian era and Queen Victoria who followed. In this way, William IV bridged two eras. 
and Charles Gray was, as such, the man who helped to usher in this new era, whilst definitely being one of the old guard himself. So in answering our question, what was Britain like at the time? Let's have a look at what people earned in those days. Apparently, day rates in agriculture in 1834 varied from about 20 pence, that's £1 per 12 days work in winter, to 36 pence during harvest, or £1 for every six and a half days work. And £1 in turn is about £150 in today's money, or around $190. We found another figure that in 1836, the total income of a family with a male working as a watchman in Manchester could be earning 15 shillings and 2 pence per week. This would be about £112 or $140 in today's money. A sixth of that money apparently would have gone on rent. In Britain, the full effects of the Industrial Revolution began to be felt in this decade. Factories producing textiles were spreading throughout the country. However, there was actually a slight slowing down in the economy in the 1830s. This happened as recent technological developments became established and an initial burst of entrepreneurialism led to a maturing of markets. However, steam transport in this decade was just about to set off, pun intended. Just to give a bit of an international context, Charles Gray's tenure in office coincided with Andrew Jackson's eight-year stint as the President of the US. During Charles Gray's time in office, the previous state to join the Union was Missouri, in 1821, while Arkansas joined in 1836, just after Charles Gray's premiership. So we've described a bit of the background at the time, but we also like to ask a question, who could vote at this time? It's an interesting way to see the development of democracy in the UK. And this was actually a crux issue during Charles Gray's tenure. He introduced the Reform Act, which abolished the so-called rotten boroughs, historic boroughs with few or no voters, controlled by landlords and peers, the Reform Act also gave burgeoning industrial cities such as Manchester and Birmingham representatives in Parliament for the first time. However, it had its downsides, this Reform Act formally excluding women from voting for the first time. The Act had defined a voter as a man. But that was only the start of it really, because even the majority of men could not vote before or after the Reform Act. Nonetheless, it was a big change and a huge achievement for Charles Gray. Perhaps unsurprisingly, such change was vehemently opposed, and Gray's first two attempts to get the Reform Act passed failed. It was only when Gray went directly to the King and asked him to manipulate the House of Lords to make its members agree with the Reform that the Act was forced through and passed into law. However, ultimately after pushing through this dramatic change to the country's politics, Charles Gray's natural conservatism clicked in and he stopped his electoral reform at that point. So just at the point when he exposed the unfairness of the system and pointed out that it could be changed, he paused. So that's a bit of a background about Britain and its voting system at the time. But the next question is, what was Gray's background? Charles Gray was born in the northernmost part of England, just south of the Scottish border in Falloden, in today's Northumberland. He was born into a wealthy family and inherited the title of Earl Grey in his early 40s, when his father, the first Earl Grey, died in 1806. So bearing in mind his aristocratic background, no one's going to be surprised that he was another of the 20 Prime Ministers who went to Eton and one of 14 to go to Cambridge University. He was elected to Parliament at the age of 22 as a Whig, 
He had a long career in Parliament, including 23 years in opposition between 1807 and 1830. Apparently, although he came close to entering the government during those years, his poor relations with George IV, both when he was Prince Regent and then as King, meant that he was kept away from power. The next question is how did he become Prime Minister? Well, by the late 1820s, Grey was fast approaching his 60s, and with a long career behind him, it was assumed that his influence was waning. He resigned as the leader of the Whig Party in 1826, a role he'd held for eight years, and the assumption was made that he was just going to slip into irrelevance. However, that changed when George IV died and was replaced by William IV, who did not quite share his predecessor's dislike of Grey. This removed one important obstacle to the path to power. Before Charles Grey took office, Arthur Wellesley, more famously known as the Duke of Wellington, was Prime Minister. And it's a strange one because although as a military figure the Duke of Wellington was extremely popular, as Prime Minister he did not have so much success, and by 1830 he had actually become very unpopular. By this time the Whigs had been in opposition for many years and targeted electoral reform as a key to increasing their popularity. Wellington in the meantime stuck to the old Tory policy that nothing needed to change. There were riots in the country earlier in 1830 which led to the Whigs gaining confidence that now was the time for reform. In November of that year there was a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister and with the Tories no longer able to form a government, the Whigs were given the opportunity to govern by the King, with Charles Grey as Prime Minister, so he arrived in the office. What were Charles Grey's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? We've already mentioned that important Reform Act, however Charles Grey had a few significant achievements during his time in office. Although the slave trade had been abolished in the British Empire in 1807, slavery itself was abolished during Charles Grey's leadership with the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833. As with the Reform Act, another overdue change, it's not hard to see this as the establishment reacting to the inevitable, finally unable to ignore clear injustices. There was still opposition to this, and slavery in reality was only abolished gradually, but this did signal the beginning of a new era. The Victoria age was just around the corner and the pressure to reform was only growing at this point, especially when the changes made during this time showed that change was possible. What led to the end of Charles Grey's premiership? As we've alluded to, Charles Grey's attempts to pass this Reform Act were not straightforward and required diligence and tenacity. He tried to get the bill passed twice but Tory opposition blocked the first and second attempts to pass it. However, this led to waves of unrest in the country. It seems that Charles Grey had the people and perhaps history on his side. His Whig government briefly fell after the second attempt to pass the reforms, but when Wellington was unable to put together a replacement government, William IV had no option other than to allow Charles Grey to return to his premiership. He had a renewed vigour, and with the help of the King previously mentioned, he forced the bill through. Ireland was the issue that would eventually lead to Charles Grey resigning from office. His cabinet was divided on the issue of Irish reform, a division that, when exposed, led to Charles Grey stepping back from the office to be replaced by fellow Whig William Lamb, Viscount Melbourne. 
Ultimately, it seems he was quite happy to retire from the limelight. He returned to his mansion, Howick Hall in Northumberland, where he died 11 years later after leaving the Premiership at the age of 81. He's buried in the church of the same village. In conclusion, why should we remember Charles Grey? His reforms meant that the establishment avoided any revolution such as the one that had torn France apart decades earlier. Much blatant unfairness was addressed in the changes, but the doors were prized open rather than swung open. To extend the metaphor, however, those doors were left ajar for others to work on opening further. Due to these fundamental changes, and his tenacity in forcing these changes through, those rotten boroughs came to an end, the growing industrial cities had representation, and slavery was abolished in the British Empire. It's for these achievements why Charles Grey often ranks in the top tens of greatest Prime Ministers ever, and in the top fives of Premiers during the 1800s. However, despite all this, if we're talking about what Charles Grey will be remembered for, it is inevitably that blend of tea that was named after him. There are a few theories why a blend of tea was named after this man. Theories range from a happy accident, when a shipment of tea being sent from China to Grey was contaminated with a bergamot fruit, to another theory that the blend of tea was created to complement the taste of the Northumberland water that Grey used on his estate. So that's the briefest history of Charles Grey, Earl Grey. As always, I like to add, because I know that politics can get very complicated, that this is just an introduction to Earl Grey. Even as I read this aloud, I could see there were many questions appeared. So I like to think this is just a way of prompting further research by anyone who's interested. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the latest episode of Long History. Please, if you can, do like and share this episode if it's interested you. Thank you for listening to Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, the 22nd Prime Minister, Charles Grey. Earl Grey. Much more than a cup of tea. Goodbye.